Welcome back to Reformed Millennials. The podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice, this podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Cam Pitchers or Joel Shackleton have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. So, Joel, in typical Reform Millennials pod history, we talk about a subject, a major subject, specifically sports usually because it's always very timely. Mm. We give our opinion. We give our hope. And then an answer is given literally within 24 hours of us leaving the podcast. I actually think that if I wasn't doing what I do for a living, Mm -hmm. I would be the Woj of all sports. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but really, it'd be the inverse woes. The inverse, yeah. Like, whatever I say, the opposite is happening. Yeah. It is shocking how wrong we can be about where players land. <laughs> well, obviously, we had our rose or our Blue Jays colored glasses on last week and really wanted to... That's how I wear all of my glasses in sports. That's fair. And it's that is, as a fan of sports, that's how you should view things, yeah. in my opinion. You don't need to be objective when it comes to fandom. No, you're right. It doesn't make it as exciting. So it was disappointing news to hear that essentially Toronto appears to have been used as a negotiating tactic. A stalking horse. Yes, in terms of getting the highest cost. We were talking last week, so for context, if you haven't listened to last week's podcast or not aware of the huge sports news in baseball, Shohei Otani signed the 10-year, $700 million contract, which on its face, obviously, you looked at that and you're like, how in the heck is that even possible all the projections were between 450 and top end, maybe $600 million, just given some uncertainty around the fact that he's injured right now. And that can be he, the, the unicorn status of him being a epic hitter, epic pitcher, a little bit in question, etc. The rumored teams at the time, obviously the Jays, the big market teams, Jays, Cubs, Mets, Dodgers, even Yankees, Red Sox were mentioned at one time. It was exciting. There was on Friday last week when we were recording there, we were essentially following on Twitter because people were tracking the private jet status out of LA to Toronto. And there was obviously rumors that he was landing ended up being Robert uh, Herjavec and his family (laughs) returning to Canada. So the shark tank guy, anyways, all this hoopla head into Saturday decision is made. I'm heading to LA blue Jays fans are crushed. And then more details come out of this historic signing where there is a some specific clauses within the MLB, I guess, collective bargaining agreement with the players and how contracts can be structured. And of that $700 million, $680 million of it is being deferred to the end of the contract to be paid out over 10 years. So very interesting. He's only going to be taking a $2 million salary. So actual cash, actual salary, $2 million a year. Minimum wage. Minimum wage, basically, in baseball. Well, they did give a list of all the players that will be making more than him, just as a comparison, and it is funny to look at. Now, why is he able to do that? In the con- Obviously, $2 million is still a lot of money, but he also makes fifty a year is what the rumor is off the field given with all of his sponsorships, specifically his Japanese presence. So being able to make that kind of financial decision on, as you pointed out before we started recording, I'm sure a lot of this is driven from a tax perspective, playing in California highest, I think it's the highest tax rate combined in, yep. in the United States. He will not be a resident of California likely when he starts earning the $680 million of this contract. Once he, is done now he 10 years maybe he keeps playing after that point who knows 
but I assume he's not going to be a resident in California. In all likelihood, he will be the majority of the tax that will be collected on that $680 million will be based off of where he is living at that date. The Bahamas. <laughs> yeah, somewhere different. <laughs> so very interesting to see the how the contract was structured. Is it potentially going to be something that we see with other international players in the future? There's a number of baseball players right now who are actually going that are, again, from Japan or or southeast asian countries as well where baseball is huge that are potentially coming over are is this going to be a trend that we see in order to obtain uh more talent and then be able to structure their contract in a different way it was there's more and more information is coming out in regards to this but definitely a off the cuff obviously the the public appeal or the public court of opinion on this also a huge win for shohei otani going into la because it's like i'm all about winning forget the 50 mil that i'm earning outside of this i'm all about winning I want to bring more talent to LA. We want to create a dynasty and, and win a bunch of World Series. Win, win, win for Mr. Otani, I'm thinking. Yeah, this actually, I think, lines up really well with one of the stories I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's the American dream. So he's gotten his. Yeah, this, you have <laughs> what I think is something anyone can can accomplish, which 100%. is these showing Otani. Um, and then there's this, this tweet thread that was from... MBI, mostly borrowed ideas. Um, I don't have any other takes on Shohei Itani. Good for him. Sorry. Yeah. Sucks for Toronto. but Yeah, 100%. Um, so this tweet thread goes on and it says, this is anecdotal, but after spending the weekend with my relatives who immigrated from Bangladesh to Reno, Nevada just six months ago, it made me quite optimistic about America. And I, I think that this actually is applies to Canada as well. I believe that this overlaps, especially with our immigration system. While, yeah, sure, we have some housing issues. This is interesting, and I think this is a, is is very similar. Some um, my relatives came to the U.S. through the immigration program. They have two daughters. One is 18, 19, and then the other is in their early 20s. Both daughters and their mother got a retail job in, in Walmart one month after landing in the United States. Their father also got a job in a motel. All four of these are hourly paid jobs. Um... Basically, they make between $17 and and $30 an hour. Um, All of them barely speak any English, and all are essentially unskilled labor by definition. Um, If a family of unskilled labor, when you start to apply 2,000-hour work years to their hourly wage, can bring in $150,000 pre-tax per year in U.S. dollar terms, just six months after coming to the country, it makes, at least in this thread, he talks about how this is the American dream. Sure, owning a home is defined as being such. Mm. I think it's quite shocking when you start to add all of that together and work together as a family unit and you notice how much money that actually is. Mm-hmm. You're, I think the American, North American dream is still very much alive. There's a lot of anecdotal stories on Twitter or in the news, especially if you're, if you're following for political reasons, mm-hmm. that it is, there's immigrants going home or they just don't feel like they can make it here or they're Whatever, right? Yeah. That is just not played out as being true in this tweet thread. And he, he did preface it by saying this is anecdotal. But um, he goes on to say one of the daughters had some pre- prior retail experience in Bangladesh. So he goes on and he asks her to compare and contrast her experience in Bangladesh versus Walmart, mm-hmm. her new um, employer, which most yeah. people think Walmart's the worst. But... During peak season, season when she worked in Bangladesh, she was experiencing 14-hour shifts without a routine break. But here, she gets a 15-minute break every two hours. If someone stole in Bangladesh, she was expected to confront that customer head-on. Whereas here, and fight them. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Whereas here, that is not the case. You are not expected to to follow someone out of the store. If anything, what do you do? You pull out your phone and put it on YG Wave. You report I mean, it. Yeah. yeah, and you report it. Mm-hmm. Obviously doing any retail job, he goes on and he, and he says, obviously doing any retail job 40 hours a week after week after week is very hard work. And that is true. It is not easy. It's mentally grueling. But I think when you, when you, um, when you zoom out a little bit and look at the fact that he, their, their household's going to be bringing in over $150,000 in Reno, Nevada, which the average house price is probably $150,000, that's pretty darn good. And it makes me optimistic too. To think that if you if you put in the work, which obviously again hard work, mm-hmm. you can make it in America. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It's it's interesting. The 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 tweets underneath of this were, were obviously people being like, "Yeah, awesome, go America, <laughs> America," which yeah. I think is right. But Moses Moses Kagan goes on and he he comments and he says, "I bet they'll have a small business and or own a home within five years." These types of people do that, mm. and that is what keeps our system going. It is why capitalism is so great. And I thought that this was motivating as we go into the end of the year. Um, this podcast today, we didn't have a ton of topics outside of like of live golf and show Atani to talk about and um, the Fed meeting yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted it to be about optimism going into the end of the year as we only have maybe one or two. And the first the first episode of every year, I make all of my predictions. So next week, we will be talking about all the ones I've made wrong, which mm. is like barely any. Basically zero. <laughs> if you round down, it's zero. Yeah. yeah. If you include the sports stuff, 100% wrong, but... It's nice to have optimists. I, I love hearing stories like that. Obviously, I think I would agree with you in terms of the fact that you hear the, we love the word anecdotal on this podcast, but you hear about all those different, either, you know, people leaving, can't make it, or stories like this where it's a well, return to what CNN the dream or Fox was. or any Canadian I mean, TV yeah. and all it is is negativity. negative. Yeah. Negativity well, which, which, negativity. which is obviously we know that how that works in, in news and yeah, how yeah. that sells and it it people will talk about it being obviously the new age of of mainstream media and that's what they focus on it's always there's always been an element of that it's obviously just been what they need to do now to continue to stay relevant and clicks and et cetera et cetera but getting the a story like that is great i think i think what i take away from that is obviously it's all based off of your perception right so at the end of the day that Bangladeshi family that's moved here now in 2023. Third gen of that family is obviously going to have a different perspective. Are they going to want to, well, if this family gets small business and or higher paying jobs or whatever, creates family wealth, more property, whatever it might be, the perspective of their grandkids or their great grandkids and how they operate and how they view the American dream is going to be completely different, which is this, no different than now, I'll, I'll put myself in that. Like my my dad immigrated here from England from like a very like he grew up poor and um, modest no, fishing town. No, yeah, exactly. No job opportunities for his field where he was from, and he had to. I mean, England compared to Bangladesh, I understand there's a big difference in working conditions and whatever. But I mean, he was growing up in the. 50s and 60s and in 67 decided to move here to canada went to expo 67 in montreal and found a job and like he he viewed coming to canada coming to north america as his like that was his uh, way to better his life and better his family and etc cetera, etc cetera. so his perspective when i was growing up is completely different than mine like i have to work really hard to think about how much easier my life is as a result of his sacrifices or even comparison to, you know, the other, however many people I live around here in Edmonton, like their stories and where people come from and how they've had to work for what they've, what they have and continue to work for what they have. Yeah. And so having, it's really, I'm not saying it's easy. It's so hard to have perspective on things like that sometimes. Right. Because it's really easy just to, you only know what you know. And when you hear things like this, this Bangladeshi, young woman who worked in retail and and those comparisons of course she's gonna love it here her compare her 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 um perspective or her ability to compare that to what she's had in the past in terms of working conditions she's like i will work here for the rest of my life and earn 17 dollars plus cola adjustments every year because i'm able i have more free time i'm contributing to my family i don't have poor working conditions etc why wouldn't i love it here why wouldn't i continue to work hard and, and be more ambitious so obviously we're we need more of those stories and we also i think as a collective group obviously need to still understand that just because we might not love something that we're doing right now we have to have that if we want to get to the next stage it's still the the staples of of success and capitalism still apply today in terms of working hard and educating yourself and collective good, all that kind of stuff you have to, in terms of your family unit or whatever it might be still staples in, in getting to where you want to go. 100%. So it's great hearing that kind of stuff. And I, I think I agree with you. We talked about it before the Canadian dream, the American dream, what that meant 30, 40 years ago for my dad 
versus what it means for someone today. Some of the underlying things I think would be the same, but how you get there is different because obviously nothing stays the same. It's <laughs> go figure that 30 or 40 years, it might be a difference in, in what that might look like. So moving on through to what was a massive event yesterday, mm. it capped off a incredible five feet, five week run in the markets where we had a historical run up in bonds and stocks. We saw TLT all the way through the duration curve of, of US and Canadian, well, US treasuries, Canadian, Canadian government bonds. And it was historic. It's, it makes my life a lot easier, no doubt. Um, however, I think what, what occurred yesterday was, well, we had the Fed meeting. Mm -hmm. um, Jerome Powell probably won't speak until February. And in his, his, his presser, he spoke about maintaining, basically they stayed flat currently. But their dot plot, which is, I think they have, I don't know, let's call it 10 other Fed governors who put a, like their, their voting chip on sure. the dot plot. So every mm -hmm. time they have the ability to vote to maintain and or increase or decrease interest rates, they vote with their, their dots or their, their checks. Mm -hmm. And over the next, the consensus of all of these governors so New York, Atlanta, all of these these other locations within the United States is that there's going to be 170 basis points of cuts next year. Or they think it, at, at the most or at the least, there's going to be three. So 75 basis points. And that consensus had to be priced into the market, which is great for duration. So duration being anything that is a multiple of earnings, a large or a high multiple of earnings. So that, in in my opinion, kind of was a was an agreement to with with where the market was sitting the mm -hmm. market was in the, was of the opinion that this was going to happen it hadn't been confirmed by the fed by the fed and it was yesterday the fed has effectively said we're very comfortable with where the current inflation rate is going yeah they're almost inching up on what they're noticing in, in terms of disinflation but they still have a tiny concern with the reality that they don't see or people are still uncomfortable with how expensive goods are. So one of the, there's a lady who asked, asked Jerome Powell a question and she was like, how do you square the circle of the, the average consumer or the, sorry, the average economist believes that we're going to have a soft landing, mm -hmm. which to me just sirens are going off in my head because economists are notoriously always wrong. And then you have the consumer, which is has basically voted and said that they are feeling constrained. They're, they do not feel the same way in which these economists do. Mm -hmm. They think that things are still too expensive. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to say that, um, well, currently, we still have an incredibly robust job market, which is probably why we're seeing this soft landing, as you say, quote unquote. Or at least dragged out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the economy still <laughs> continues to, yeah. to be very strong. We had um, we had uh, consumer numbers from last week through uh, the the Black Friday shopping uh, season that came in very strong mm. relative what expectations were, and but you still have a consumer that is feeling like they're falling behind, even though yeah they have positive real uh, wage growth versus mm -hmm. inflation. So wages are growing faster than inflation. They should be catching up. But it doesn't feel like they are. And I kind of see where they're coming from. When you go to, let's say you've gotten a raise this year and you got a 3 or 4% bump. But you go to Joey's for, for lunch. And the burger that you used to pay $17.50 for is now $23.50 yeah. or $22.50. And you haven't even gotten cheese on it yet. And then if you choose to have a salad, it's an extra 3 bucks. Mm -hmm. So now you're leaving there after having a whole a, a soda water that they charge you $6 for. And you're out with tip at $37.50. And you're like... This used to be twenty dollars. Mm -hmm. like, My five percent wage growth is not covering this inflation. Yeah, when's happy hour? Why? That's is why water? sentiment <laughs> is just not there, and it's also yeah. a lagging indica indicator. Mm -hmm. We're going to be lapping really high, or sorry, falling numbers. It looks like in um, in the real estate industry, anyways, that is a huge contributor. So owner equivalent rents are starting to moderate. Mm -hmm. It's it's quite likely that they're going to be well within target in 2024 which means and this is which is why they believe that they're going to be able to be more stimulative mm -hmm. and when the curve 
they don't even have to lower rates. The curve is now pricing in cuts that they haven't even done yet. That is stimulative. You have, um, and I had this conversation with my mortgage broker uh, yesterday, and he made uh, a good point, which is that the five-year Government of Canada bond rate plus 1.2 to 1.4 is what you can expect for mortgage rates, five-year mm-hmm. fixed mortgage rates. And it was at 3.2 yesterday, so 4.6. I was Keep reading. Going. I was reading one of the. Yeah, we still need to go through. Um, I've made. I've talked about how mortgage rate or the the affordability is mm-hmm. four. We need to be at three five to four in mm-hmm. this country in order to afford our homes, mm-hmm. um, on average across the entire um, across the entire country, and we're getting damn near close to that, which makes me feel like soft landing is very very possible. Sure. However, positioning and. After you've had a historic run-up in stocks, you need to reconsider what are next year's opportunities. And for the fourth time in two weeks, I've read the same article, which was written by Morgan Housel. And um, I don't know if you got through the whole thing, but it's called The Full Reset. And it's something that I want to do Sorry, year. The Great Reset? No, The Full Reset. <laughs> I think he didn't call it The Great Reset because that would be... Everyone would think uh, Klaus wrote that uh, from... <laughs> But um, in the article, he talks about the power of resetting mm. um, and starting from anew or starting mm. anew. And the, the, the cancerous effects of, of having biases and, and not doing that. So he uses a, an example, which is a little bit extreme, but I, I think gets across the point. To understand the power of starting clean, you have to know the nuance of why the German military became as strong as it did in the 1930s. Mm. So it starts at the end of World War I when the defeated German army was stripped completely clean. They had to pay reparations. They were broke. This is the result of losing the Great War. Yep. Part of the arm, armistice that ended that war forced the dismantling of Germans, Germany's um, military. This included virtually every weapon it owned. So 17 million grenades, 16,000 airplanes, 450 ships, 38 million projectiles. 20 years later, after the end of the, the World War, they ended up having to rebuild their entire army from, from, from scratch. Whereas the rest of the Allied armies were still operating with the weaponry in which they, they maintained and or took mm-hmm. in World War I. And they start building out the most dynamic military that the world has ever seen mm-hmm. because they started from scratch. Out of necessity. Out of necessity. And they performed fairly well for a long period of time versus a much larger population. Mm-hmm. Everyone can remember, I don't know, on Netflix right now, there's a there's a new show. Oh, yeah, I've already started watching You it. started watching yeah. that too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was watching it last night. Yeah, and I think John Boyega is... Uh, God, is narrated. it good, hey? Yeah, he's really good. Yep. It's, it's incredible. I just say, I, I obviously, I'm biased, British guy, but there's nothing... I don't believe something more than when it's a soft, like a British man's voice describing something in regards to well, like World War or it, anything it, historic. It's so. like anyone who puts on uh, on glasses, right? You immediately think they're smarter than that. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing with that with that accent. Yeah. Podcast note: We should be wearing. Those yeah, exactly. Go for it. Um, but for me, this this um, let's call it example or anecdote. I, I I believe that that's super true. And at the end of a, any year in which either you've done really poorly or done really well, I think it's really important not to hold on to something that isn't working. And while this year it seems as though all of Big Seven is working, its its energy has not been working. You should rebalance and, and and invest into things that are. I think it's really important to take a look at what happens if you were to completely dispose of everything that you're invested in, mm-hmm. and then reapproach your portfolio and rebuild it again. Mm-hmm. Would you own everything that you have? And for me, it's a really powerful exercise because it makes me reconsider new ideas. It makes me get rid of the things that I really love because of the price in which you're paying for them. And um, going into next year, like I, I had this conversation with a friend who was telling me about how well he was he had done in, in 2023. And I was super, super pumped for him because um, I can't tell if he's just copying me or if he's uh, doing super well, but he's he, he truly was. And... Um, I look at it and I think, okay, that is what worked last year. What's going to work next year? Yeah. And um, that's part of my job. And thinking about it through Morgan Housel's article was, was really helpful. 
and coming up with our first episode in 2023 or 2024 sorry will mm-hmm. be my my exercise of, of what's going to work next year so um, well the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result i know so you cannot in in that sense or that old saying kind of thing what i just take from that and what you just said is that if you we talk about the shifting sentiment shifting rhetoric shifting policy in regards to the Federal Reserve and how that affects the stock market and the real economy, whatever it might be. We're hitting a, from the sounds of it, this, I wouldn't say breaking point, I guess that sometimes sounds negative, but this, this, this inflection point on a go forward basis now where it's, you know, we're sure we're inflection point in terms of the new calendar year, but also inflection point in, in potentially interest rates and what the six to nine month outlook is gonna be in from the stock market. I think it just, if, again, take a step back and think about it the way that you just described it. Why would I keep everything the same? It makes no sense. Not at all. Every, the, the landscape is changing. So, again, what be happy and grateful for if you did have success and what got you there and, and you know what investments or what decisions that you made got you to this point. But now it's what's the next thing? What's the next challenge? And sometimes that, I can appreciate that can be exhausting sometimes, especially for someone, you know, like you who work in uh, in this industry where it's like, can I just like take a break for, you know, not think about this re- or not think about resetting or, or, or changing yeah. something. You Doesn't, can't, you can't yeah. ever, ever take a break. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why I love it so much because I would, I get bored so easily if I didn't have something that changed <laughs> every 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, that's probably why I still love sports so much. It, it keeps you engaged because it's ever changing. And that's why this business that I work in is always different. While the conversations are literally me saying the same 20 things in different ways mm-hmm. um, to, to keep people's expectations and then um, just their, their behaviors in check. Mm-hmm. The, the why those 20 things occur over and over and over again are constantly influenced by different things and different levers being pulled. It's super fun. Um, Cam. Yes. We had uh, a first, which was, and I, I'm kind of sneaking this one in on you. Jeff Bezos did an interview. And I kind of just wanted to who talk was about that with? real estate. Well, it's with Lex Friedman, who is the fake MIT guy. Um, what, what do you mean fake? Well, you, you know how you can go to Harvard if you did like a two week thing. You can say on LinkedIn that you went to Harvard. Oh, okay. Like if you did like yeah, a, yeah. a course. Like, I, I think he he um, taught one one single or he he had a single lecture at MIT. So MIT professor. Yeah, MIT professor. <laughs> so, I mean, the barrier to entry to do that, even though, is pretty impressive. The problem so. is, is that the barrier to entry to podcasting, and then you saying what you are. <laughs> is really low. There's no credentialism yeah. required. Well, he has made it though. Like I mean, you have to lots of people who obviously can overstate or exaggerate what what they are. He's if he has done that, it's still it's worked. Like I mean, he's had some pretty epic interviews with such a the only thing I would give him for sure is that like the maybe it's becoming a bit more narrow now, but I think in the past anyways, like it, his guest list was so broad mm-hmm. in terms of like opinions. And like he, he is kind of a, obviously he's very monotoned and I can't like, watch. It was so hard for, I had to watch it because it was Jeff Bezos, but yeah. like he is not my, just, but like robot versus robot. Though. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, like Bezos is probably like, ha 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 No, ha, no. Fun. He's actually super animated. I, I have to give him that he is. He has got reprogrammed then. Yeah. <laughs> no, his, his interview with, with Mark Zuckerberg, that was robot on robot. Um, Jeff Bezos is truly a person. I, I'm. I don't know. I thought it was really good. He's very interesting. Jeff Bezos has gone on one of the craziest midlife crisis tears I've ever seen. <laughs> Yachts. Yeah. You give someone with a lot of creativity $200 billion and a, like after being divorced. Mm-hmm. And what does he do? He buys $600 million in in housing. Gets more jacked. Gets outrageously jacked. Um, <laughs> buys a $550 million super yacht. Mm-hmm. And remarries a model, half or, his no, age no, no, or journalist yeah. model. I don't know. I don't know how to define her. Either way, he seems happy as can be. He's doing. He's I would doing hope so. <laughs> yeah, Times Times um, articles or vanity 
or is it Vanity? What, what's the what's that magazine called? Yeah, Vanity would be one of them. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyways, he was he was on the cover or of that. Vogue. Not yeah, Vogue. I'm not sure he made Vogue, but he's yeah. definitely on. I think it was Vanity. Anyways, yeah. In this interview, there was a lot of really great um, tidbits. He is, in my opinion, mm-hmm. the most. Well, him and probably Elon, I guess. I don't want to give it to Elon, though. He is, has made the biggest impact on the world in my generation. He would be the most impactful entrepreneur of my time, in my opinion, given that I believe Amazon is the greatest iteration of, of um, let's call a uh, retailer and what they've done, done oh, with yeah. their logistics program. Yeah. Like, would you say, like, you mentioned Elon there, and I feel like, I feel like the biggest difference between them, and this is, again, my opinion, but Amazon and the effect that Amazon has had on how we think about purchasing things, even just not even using Amazon, but just like online retailers and Mm. things coming to your house, like the the sentiment around that, I think, has changed so much in our lifetime. Like our parents buying something online when we were 20, like... No way. No no way. local. (laughs) Well, but like there's still that, like there's always the give and take with all that kind of stuff for sure, but... In terms of visibility to the the common man, common woman, in terms of Amazon's impact, and then knowing that Jeff Bezos is the the founder and the creation of all of this, I would say that's like much higher than the impact that Elon has. Like Elon's, like if you were to ask the common person who Elon is, it's like okay, Tesla yeah. and alt right Twitter, Twitter guy, guy kind He's of thing. Or, Democrat is yeah, exactly, but like but that opinion, like it's not on what Elon has impact in terms of. Obviously, we know about his investments into like early investment into a lot of technologies that have blown up and AI, for example, or open AI. Um, what he's been doing, obviously, from the space exploration and like a future of humanity, mm-hmm. which all that kind of stuff is obviously the information is there, but it's not smack in your face no. or it's not actually affecting our day to day as much as obviously Amazon what is. Amazon Everybody is. Everybody uses Amazon every day almost. And well, that's why it's, well, yeah. just in terms of, again, the the ability to go click yeah, and be Kleenex using it on my front door stuff. Yeah. It is incredible. And I want to touch on something that I believe a lot of older people might think is not true where everything you buy off of Amazon is not sourced local. I believe that <laughs> I, I know that seems crazy, but it is a lot of those things. There are drop shipping people who have made it quite made successes of themselves locally by expanding their total addressable market to the rest of the world mm-hmm. because of the innovations that have been brought forth by by Jeff Bezos's Amazon. And it's not just him, obviously Shopify and Toby Lickie and all these guys that um, have empowered the retailer. And I think that Jeff Bezos is, is just incredibly important to the, the change and the way in which we live our lives. And I, I give him all the credit in the world for that. So go and buy all of your real estate well, so what? But, with with that being said, what's your favorite property? So there's a New York Post article <laughs> that you had uh, shared with the one in Washington is the one that I would buy or I'd want the most. It's such a blah. It's just the status of having it, I guess. Right? I, I mean, suppose. Well, some of the, the stuff that he owns is is insane. The one in L.A. is ridiculous. That house is worth five hundred million dollars, probably. So he the Bever- the like Beverly 25. Hills 165, 165 okay, million. So stunning 12,254 square foot home near Sunset Boulevard. Pretty dope. Well, he's combining two in Miami. He's combining two in Miami. He's and got that- a he's got something in West Texas too. He's really like I mean, at least he's uh keeping everything in, in the America. US of A, you yeah. know what I mean? His place in Seattle, the place in 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 uh, New York is also absurd. Yeah, I, seventeen and a half million for that Manhattan apartment. Oh, I guess penthouse or whatever you want to call it. But that view from that Madison Square Park. So it's on. Yeah, it's on Fifth Ave for ninety six million. Sorry, that would probably be my pick. <laughs> well, I'd go with the most expensive one and sell it. But either way, <laughs> I think uh, he's doing he's doing what all people that age would wish to do. The only thing he wasn't able to act- to accomplish was buy a sports team, and that's too bad for him. Yeah. Maybe he'll be able to uh, get something later on, but it seems as though he found an enemy in uh, the, 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 the previous owner of the Washington football franchise. Yeah. And wasn't able to pull that one off. Well, because that guy was just so jealous. 
Well, he hated him yeah. because of the the Washington Post articles. That yeah, he, yeah, that yeah. That's right. Sorry, out. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. That as well. Yeah. So from the art or from the interview with Lex Friedman, I watched it yesterday while I was at work. And the number one thing that I think what everyone's going to be taking from that interview is, is his crisp document um, belief, which is you have to, before you go into a meeting, mm-hmm. you have to put together a. This is what we're this this is what we're going to talk about in our meeting. An and agenda. Actually, I find yeah. that you do a really good job of this. And what he's trying to to express here is that when you go into a meeting, it needs to be incredibly um, well defined what you're going to talk about. Oh yeah, and I'm a huge believer of he's, that. He's a big believer in, in and also that you write it beautifully. Mm. It's not that he wants necessarily wants bullet points. He wants it to be concise for it to be read really easily and really well, so that when he goes into the meeting, he can then. The power of wandering away from this Chris document stays defined yet um, on point. Mm-hmm. And that's something I have to, that's going to be like my, one of my goals for 2024 is to mm-hmm. be in all meetings moving forward, very well prepared, not just me, but the people that are coming mm-hmm. so that they, we, we, we have the time to go over, yep. but on topic. There's a, there's power and expectation on both sides. Mm-hmm. So I, I 100% believer of that. I, I still work on that, but I for sure use, I'm not even sure where I picked it up per se. I think from some of my mentors, for sure, I have a similar thought process, but like even in emails, I find to, to Jeff's point on, on having a crisp document, even the power of email is amazing. I mean, what we can, what we can do or how powerful email is, I think gets understated. Mm-hmm. It's the ease of it, the how quick you you're able to structure something, etc. But like you can, I know we've all received emails where it's like, you know, I've given you something come tax time, and there's five different topics discussed in at length within a because I we want to put it on paper. That's another thing too is like I mean a huge thing in our professional services industry is if you didn't document it, it didn't happen. So it's like sometimes you want to put the context into an email so that way you can save that email and say, well, look, I did give you all of that information or I, you know, all this instruction it is there. But then for for sure, like for me, I can rattle off for 20 minutes in an email on everything. And I'm like, oh, that's an amazing email. That's so good. And then I get a call from a client saying like, I'm a little bit overwhelmed with everything that you just put in there. So like I started putting like, if it's anything that's over two paragraphs, it's like, okay, Here's all the context. Here's the summary at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Here are action items that I need you to take right now mm-hmm. or into the future and with dates and everything like that. And then no different when going into a meeting. Bang on. Having an agenda and saying, these are our topics of discussion. We can go. We don't have to have 20 minutes for this, 30 minutes for this. But it's like, we need to cover these things. And this is what's going to keep us on on target on for point, it. Yeah. And like, I mean, I can't agree more with, with what Bezos said, I guess, from that standpoint. Is well, any email that a, I have to like scroll down on yeah i'm like nope yeah so then exactly so it might have to you might have to scroll actually that's such a great thing that that's um one of our partners that i work with at at my firm we are undertaking something right now where even like from our working paper perspective and so this this applies for everything though it's like if i have to scroll on your excel or scroll on your word that's a problem yeah, in like is. in like eighty percent of cases, it's yeah. like we should be able to summarize something. Use less words. Stop again. If the detail needs to be there, it can be in the background, yeah. and you can look into it if you want. But from a summary perspective, and just how the efficiencies that come with that mm-hmm. is is truly powerful. So, trying yeah. to it's like the one click idea, right? For apps, man, it's, it's I don't want to be able to have to go through a bunch of things. It's simple. I mean, this if anyone learned anything from Steve Kiss. Jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, keep it simple, stupid. Honestly, if anyone learned from, from like Johnny Ivey and, and Steve Jobs was and, and the power of Apple's design and their mm-hmm. OS is that simple simplicity is powerful. And um, we don't like to be over um, inundated with options. It is not as much as people think that's what they want. And yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. I hate having options. I hate going to the grocery store because there's so much stuff. Like, <laughs> give me five things to pick. And oh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm sure your wife's the same as mine. Just basically refuses for me to go to the grocery store because it takes yeah. an hour and 45 minutes for me to find everything that yeah. we need. Well, yeah. I don't go to the grocery store anymore, but that's mostly because I fail on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go, so I fail. And then which, I don't have to, I don't, I'm Which cured ham? That. Which one? Yeah. No. Smoky? <laughs> she gives me a list of 30 things. I come back with. 18. I always, this is going to be stupid, but the, um, like Tiger King, the great Tiger King, the, the COVID COVID show of, of yesteryear, 
the um there's a meme that's always like my husband trying to call me when I'm at the grocery store. Yeah. And it's like him saying, I called twice and I didn't get a hello. Hi. Goes through it. My favorite people listening to this podcast will know what I'm talking about if they see that meme. And that is every 30 year old husband <laughs> in the world. I feel like they get sent to the grocery store. Zero clue what they're doing. Mm, so heading out here, buddy, mm-hmm. I kind of want to just take this to recommendations. You don't want to talk about Jean Rom? Oh God, we should just a little. Historic so my, my brother, deal. My brother's super sad. So we did. We talked he's about this broken. very briefly last week. I feel like he's in terms of the broken. details, but he's been like he's obviously come out with interviews. He's he was on with uh, Pat McAfee and kind of all the big outlets. Oh, here's my take about Pat McAfee. Goat. He's the biggest guy in, in sports media right now. <laughs> yeah. Number one. Yeah, love him or hate him, he is he's the king. Yeah, he's unbelievably entertaining. Very what is he on day to day? ESPN Steroids. now. Oh, so, <laughs> I, oh, to to get jacked up like I, that. Man, he is so. He has they were so much energy. They were actually funny. You say that they were like literally. I watched them a couple times a week. Probably they were literally making jokes about all of them being on something. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> to get I'm yoked. Not, I've never watched yeah, him. Yeah. I just get the clips on on Instagram yeah. and and or Twitter or whatever, and he's just so much fun. Yeah, it, it was a good um, good investment by ESPN. It looks like. At least the short-term return, right? I mean, he's 100% on their college football. Like he's always been involved in college football and football in general, obviously. But he has branched out to be a true sports show in terms of talking to everybody. So, like, he he's had an absolute powerhouse. Yeah, and it's and it's really because the the it it's the mixture between the obviously he's has to be a bit more structured now, being within the infrastructure of espn and like the the rules versus probably the guidelines that he had to follow yeah previously. he can't do what barstool thought that they could do yeah but he can push he can push it a bit for sure he can and like obviously they, they see the value in that but he's also has the credibility which really helps right i mean like i, I don't think you can discount that like he's got a team around him obviously ex-athlete. helps a lot ex-athlete and people like there's just certain people obviously in the world from a, from a media actually. perspective yeah, yeah like People will open up to him and give him answers because he's able to disarm them with he his was, no humility and more athletic position than being a kicker. And <laughs> just ask him. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but he they had Ram on yeah. yesterday, day before. And I didn't listen to the whole interview, but the one piece that stuck out to me was that they asked him like kind of what led to this decision being made because it from from the outside world, it kind of seemed like you flipped script in terms of your opinion. And he said, I think I was careful in what I said when the initial people were jumping over, excuse me, when people were jumping over to live. And we didn't, as a team, feel like it was the right time. But if you look back, I mean, his relationships with some of the, like with Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia. Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka. Like, Rom was very, and I actually went back and listened to some of the clips and and what he said. He was more upset about the whole situation. Mm -hmm. He wasn't necessarily taking it aside. He was like, I don't like the fact that we are having this conversation and the way that people are going about it, but I'm not obviously against. And like he was also came out, he's like, people are just lying when they're saying they're not going for the money. Obviously, they want to grow the game of golf. Bull, you are taking a payday and I would take the payday too if it made sense for me. And he talked about over the last year how I think maybe he had, you know, a couple months where he kind of fell back in rankings or was not playing as well, but like won the Masters last year. Won a couple of other big tournaments earlier in the year. Wins His, the Masters. Now he can go forever. That's a huge contributor. Well, and I, I think the but the general talk on the majors, anyways, is that there's never, never going to be any restrictions on these guys coming because the majors are not organized by the P, outside of the PGA Championship, I guess. But even that one, I think, has the no like you st- you're still able to go. So at the end of the day, legacy wise, again, we talked about that way back when. Whether, when there was a question on whether or not, okay, are you going to be able to participate in majors or be able to participate in Ryder Cups and et cetera. That legacy question is essentially out the door. Even the restrictions that were put on some of the European players on the, like the latest Ryder Cup from this, uh, this fall was that, you know, you guys can't play, but none of the guys that, the guys that would have been eligible to play, none of them would have been picked anyways. And now, like, Rory's come out as soon as Rom made the decision. He's like, well, I guess we got to change things because there's no way we're going to another Ryder Cup without Rom on our team. Yeah. So he's he kind of said in this interview just basically, I've, you know, 
I wanted to sit back and wait a bit. And I also built up my profile because like, I'm sure he got 650 mil uh, US equivalent, I think was the, was the reported I amount. 500. I think it was 500 euro. Oh, was it? Okay. It doesn't matter. Um, Holy. Big number. Diana. Okay. So money. I assume, again, he would have got a big number a year ago. I assume that number is bigger now. I assume he got more based on his profile increasing and what sure. that even meant. The Live did a, we kind of did a bit of a recap on PGA Live in the fall too, like around Ryder Cup time and said mm-hmm. like, you know, it's been a year of drama. What's kind of happened. And we said, even probably last week we mentioned Liv's only going to be able to be successful if they're able to improve the product on a long-term scale as well. Mm -hmm. And they need to get more of these marquee players and Rom going. it's coming with a change in in the way in which the events are. That as well, obviously the opinion. going to four days, almost guaranteed. Starting next year, there'll be four days. I I would be shocked if they stay at three. They'll never get um, world golf numbers if they aren't four days. Yeah. Um, I don't think they need cuts, but they're definitely going to need to make it a four-day event. I bet you yeah. that they get rid of the shotgun, too. Yeah. Um, it's basically going to look like a PGA event. The The thing that I, um, I understand, yeah. I'm not surprised. I have... This might be the number one thing that I got 100% right the whole way through. And... This is me sort of taking a victory lap on this. One in 30, almost 34 years is pretty good. One thing. I know. Not bad. (laughs) I'm in my 34th year. Um, And I I saw my my brother's face. And usually me being right makes me feel great. And you were sad for him? I was sad for him a little bit. He is totally dejected and upset about what happened to the PGA Tour. He's a traditionalist in everything, which makes him, I mean, so cute. But... uh, (laughs) I, I'm I'm uh, I'm a little bit sad because I I want the tradition of the PGA to exist. I mm. still am a traditionalist golf fan. I still want there to be that that um, the 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 class of of player to to still play through. Right. I'm of the opinion that they are breaking it and hopefully rebuilding it to be something better. So one, don't go up against unlimited money. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Don't let them in. Mm-hmm. That should be one lesson. Two, there's a number for everybody. Johnny Rami was at $650 million. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there is a number. Yeah. Is, has his life materially changed? He said that it never would. Not true. Not true. <laughs> you know how I know that? Look at Jeff Bezos. My life, <laughs> even yes. if I was making $20 million a year, would yeah. look different. Just look at what Jeff pulled, pulled off. That's right. John Rom can now buy a lot of those houses. He couldn't before. Um, so, you know, I, I a reset I, as Mr. Housel. Yeah, let's see it. how this resets. I'm Monahan's gone starting next year. Dude's so gone. He's got nothing but bad press. Well, he increased his salary by five schmilly last year. You so. know what? Good for him. I would get have taken it, it too. Yeah. <laughs> get it while you can get it, right? It yeah. was probably built in. He's going to take his bag and run. Um, the sport will be interesting starting next year. The PGA Tour doubling down on. You're not allowed to play is uh, not going to look good. You've lost. Now yeah. figure out a way to rebuild and to make it better on the way back because it's just not going to work when you're missing uh, nine of the top 20 players on the planet. You need them back. And not only that, not just nine, it's the most interesting guys are gone. The story guys, Brooks, Rom, um, Smith. All of the uh, Bryson, these are the most interesting guys from your tour. Gone. Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, who is outside of Tiger, the guy who gives you the best sound bites. Say, and Tiger sound bites aren't even good. They're just coming from Tiger. So you want to hear them. Oh, it's really tough out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but Phil, <laughs> Phil is, is brilliant. Like the guy knows more about. Yeah. The, or, let's just call a spade a spade. They're like those two guys, like, I mean, they should not be relevant anymore. Like Phil, like sure. Tiger will Tiger always be Phil. Be Phil is a figurehead now. He's nothing, nothing more than that. But he won the thing is, is a PJ. What Monahan did actually was he took that extra five million and he literally purchased. Like we haven't seen Tiger for a while. Yeah, they went to a private hospital or whatever it might be, and they literally rebuilt his body into. He's now a robot, and he's it's just his brain and his face has stayed <laughs> the same. Everything else has been replaced, and we're gonna get another fifteen years of Tiger. <laughs> Which is all I want. Him and Charlie dominating the PGA Tour. LeBron and Bronny dominating the NBA. Father and son duos in our biggest leagues. Well, 
I want to give you some recommendations heading in. Please. First of all, that World War II, am I stealing your reco? Uh, actually, yeah, it was, it was going to be because I've always mentioned how much, and again, that's the, as Shane Gill also put it, your first step to becoming a Republican is being interested in <laughs> But no, um, yeah, it's, it is really good. I've watched the first two episodes so far and it's one of those things too, that you can just listen to. You don't have to like be watching the whole time too, to get, I guess some, there is interviews with, um, people from all sides, yeah. which is really interesting too. It's always great to get perspective on that, on that kind of stuff. Cause I mean, obviously a lot of the information on world war ii i think you would agree like a lot of the stuff you've probably heard before but just hearing it from a different perspective or learning about the maybe some more details around some of the big events is is always very interesting so for me um i got two things one we're going into christmas season we got probably one more podcast and we're out um i'm every year i print off a bunch of pdfs so this is the fourth year running um i bring it to in premiere or whatever and i'll read I'll read like these these weird white papers from Michael Mabuson, which I really enjoy, and it kind of helps shape my my uh, investment theory going in, thesis going into the next year. I'm going to be doing that, and then uh, Nick Sharma had a really good um, tweet thread where he talked about um, what is it's like this direct to consumer brand Everlane, yeah, and the founding of the of the business, the the sustainability, the way of developing out a different way of, of promoting consumption yeah so his brand effectively is this don't c- consume high quality at a reasonable price yeah don't consume don't he's trying to push people out of the Shein purchases buy good and high quality that you can keep for a long period of time while um, it being sustainable and i think it's a really powerful way of looking at things i think when you look at the the industry of well the clothing industry to me, this is where it's all moving. You can tell over the last two years, this this like quiet luxury or whatever um, trend you're you're noticing, it's all being pushed. Even even um, uh, what is it when you go to Value Village? You're thrifting. Thrifting has blown up. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law is the world's greatest thrifter. I think she goes every day. I I find it really interesting. I'm shopping on eBay for used goods now. I'm. I want to go to Japan just to go and experience their thrifting culture. For me, this is a momentous trend for the next 20 years in our generation and younger. So essentially, we got a lot of crap. We yeah. might as well use it. We've been, we've been <laughs> these disgusting consumers forever. And we've built up these massive brands like Shein that produce nothing but crap. H&M, whatever. And, and we had good crap before. It's just sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we're going the other direction. And this is a really, this, this tweet thread I'm going to throw in the newsletter is, was, a, was a nice read. And um, I, I just wanted to draw some attention to it. Fair enough. And last thing for me, it's my son's fifth birthday today. So Happy birthday, Owen. Oi. Owen will not be listening to this. But amazing how fast five years goes. So shout out to all the parents who have existential crisis is when these birthday milestones come around because it's real. (laughs) All right, buddy. See you next week.